coronavirus vaccination will probably turn out to be like influenza. You'll probably get a booster every year. So we think we're in line to make the best vaccine. We're not going to be the fastest vaccine. From Grindstone Media, this is Nebraska Made, a narrative journey through the lives of Nebraska's most inspiring business leaders. We unpack the intimate details of how our guests navigated obstacles and built their companies in pursuit of the good life. I'm JT Martin, and today we hear from the CEO and president of Advanced Technologies, a company developing the next generation of COVID vaccines right here in Lincoln. And this story is especially personal to me because Tyler is actually my dad. Advanced Technologies is a vaccine research company that made waves in the Lincoln Biotech startup community earlier this year when it announced that it had raised a 20 million Series A round of funding, reportedly the largest Series A round ever in the history of Nebraska. And their CEO, Tyler Martin, has an unlikely story having come from a humble small town in Nebraska. I grew up in uh, Hebron, Nebraska, about uh, 90 uh, miles south and west of Lincoln. I, I grew up as a sports fanatic, not a business fanatic. So if we weren't in school, we were playing baseball or football or basketball, whatever the sports season was, that's what we did. My dad, in addition to being the basketball coach, taught chemistry and physics. So from an early age, uh, I was doing chemistry experiments with him and watching him do experiments or set up experiments that the students would do the next day. So I. Uh, became very interested in science at an early age and, I, and as a result of that was very interested in mathematics. Because going from you know your parents being you know high school teachers it it was probably a, a big um, a big jump and a big ambition to go yeah. off and go to medical school. Yeah yeah it, it, I, it was not the traditional path of, of our family members um, up to that point in time. Um, and then the, the, the next really important uh, fork in the road for me was when I was in my last year of medical school, uh, your mother and I went to work in what then was Zaire, now the Congo. So we were at a missionary hospital out in the middle of the rainforest, and it was there that I really got a, got a vision for how being trained in infectious disease uh, can be helpful on a large population basis. Our uh, pediatric ward had 30 beds in it, and it was just a big open room with 30 beds, so 15 on each on each side of the room. And it was not uncommon to have a child die every day, sometimes more than more than one child. So I was very impressed uh, about the enormous burden that infectious diseases put on populations, especially populations um, in the developing world, and uh, was interested to engage and try to help address those kinds of problems. So the year is 1986, and Tyler has been greatly impacted by his experiences working in the children's hospital in Africa. In the village they were in, 50% of children died before they reached the age of five, mostly from malaria and streptococcus pneumonia. Okay, so you're around, you know, real suffering in, in Zaire. Uh, what do you do when you get back? Well, so I was still in my training days, so, um, I came back and I did my residency in pediatrics, which was influenced again by our time there and wanting to help with uh, infectious diseases that impacted kids. And I then did a postdoc in uh, molecular microbiology and infectious disease at WashU in St. Louis. And then my mentor from WashU had moved out 
to a company called Chiron. So Chiron was a very exciting place in those in those early days, and um, I was attracted by the ability to develop new drugs that would change the world. Uh, so I we we picked up here when you were first grade, if I remember right, picked up our stakes in Nebraska and moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area and stayed out there for 20 years. Do you remember the the night that you decided that you were going to move out? Was there a was there a straw that broke the camel's back? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do remember. Um, it was the weekend I went out there to interview, and I was interviewing with my mentor. When I went out there, I really went out there just to be polite to him. Um, but we were sitting there having dinner, and we were talking about some new things he'd learned about the immune system in the last couple of years. And I just felt like, you know, and I hadn't been exposed to that level of molecular biology uh, in, the, in the intervening time. And I just felt like, you know, this is, this is who I am, to live in this space and think about these ideas and to take a scientific discovery and then think about how can I exploit that discovery into things that would help people. So we had dinner. I went to the airport to fly, fly back, uh, back to Nebraska, and I called uh, your mom from the airport and said, honey, this is serious. we got to think about this. <laughs> and, and in 30 days, we decided to, to move. So Tyler decided to move his wife and family of four young children to Silicon Valley to work on new cures for diseases because in the 90s, there just wasn't the same amount of innovation happening in Nebraska. Back then, there was an R&D lab that is now Zoetis, and there was a little bit of animal health research, but none of the medical device or diagnostic companies that exist here now today. So Tyler took his fancy postdoc degree with him to California to learn how to talk the talk of a research physician. Most biotech companies include two people as their leaders. There's the money guy and the technical guy. So in the early days, I was the technical guy. So I would go with the financial guy to meet with the VCs, pitch our ideas, help explain it. And when they would have questions about, well, what about this gene or what about this protein or what about this cell? I was the guy that answered, answered those questions. So by accompanying the CEO on those sorts of visits, that's how I learned how to handle the business side of the biotech business. So I grew up as a technical guy and now I'm a, now I'm a business guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, when, when did that role uh, flip for you? Yeah, it really flipped at, at the last company I was at in the Bay Area called Dynavax. So mm -hmm. Dynavax is another vaccine company very similar to, to Adjuvant. And I became president of that company and uh, while, while I was there. So I started off as chief medical officer mm -hmm. and then became president of the, uh, of the company. So, uh, back in, you know, 2012, did I get yep. that right? Yep. Back in around 2012, uh, Dynavax had a ton of press around it, a ton of hype. It was around this, you know, round of funding that it had gotten, and people, investors, were kind of clamoring to to get in. What what was going on there? How did that come yeah. about? So, the product was a an improved vaccine for hepatitis B called Heplosav. Um, it was a pretty negative situation when I joined. We had 90 days of cash in the bank. Uh, we were burning about um, probably about 30 million a year at that point, and so we we raised that money, got our product back into development, and it became quite a, uh, as you said, there was quite a bit of buzz around it. So in 2012, when we were coming back to the FDA for now approval of our vaccine after we completed this new work. You completed the clinical trials yeah, on yeah, it? Yeah, completed okay. the phase three clinical trials and submitted the application to the FDA. We were featured on Mad Money, as an example. 
it was it was kind of uh, kind of a heady 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 moment. You were sort of a rock star of yeah, biotech yeah. in Silicon and Valley at the yeah. time. And in, in, in 2009, when I joined the company, publicly traded company, our market cap was 25 million. As we were heading into this uh, uh, FDA meeting in November of 2012, our market cap was 1 billion. So investors had done well during that time. And it was, uh, you know, we, we thought there was a really attractive path, path forward. So at this point, Dynavax is now a $1 billion company, and all signs were pointing towards their drug receiving FDA approval and being able to reap the benefits of going to market. Well, the FDA even published a position statement concluding that their drug should be approved. It seemed like they had it in the bag. Now, the FDA is the gatekeeper for all things related to health in the United States, but they've come under scrutiny in the past for being inconsistent and showing favoritism towards big pharma companies. The FDA approved just 48 drugs in 2019, so nothing is ever guaranteed when applying for approval. The future of Dynavax hinged on one final FDA approval meeting on November 12, 2012. Unfortunately, when we went to this FDA meeting, the vote uh, on our vaccine, they, they vote on two different things. One is, is it effective? And the second, is it safe? And so the vote on effectiveness was 13 to 1, and the vote on safety was 5 to 7. Is there any chance of redoing the trial to make it better? Yeah, there is, but redoing the trial was a $50 million exercise and would take three years. What did you do the moment that you found out that the vote flipped on you? Yeah, so um, it was a really depressing day. We So we were, uh, as an emerging biotech, at that point the company was 15 years old. This was our first product that was ever going to the FDA for, for review. My team had worked really hard. We had 200 people in the company, about 180 of them had worked on this on this project. We'd worked hard to get this in and people had poured their hearts out to get this thing in. So it was heartbreaking to, uh, to lose. So 15 years of work later and it all came crashing down. Dynavax had submitted a 135,000 page FDA application and it had essentially gone up in flames and their valuation went to basically nothing overnight. It's thought that some of the competitors of Dynavax maybe out-lobbied them with FDA advisors and the narrative turned against them, but regardless of what happened, Tyler found himself starting all over again. So how do you get back to Nebraska at this point? Well, so I was um, helped by the fact that the new CEO didn't want, didn't want the former president to, to be around, but I had come to the conclusion that because of the talent that was available here, in Nebraska. And, yes, that was available in, in Nebraska. And the fact that the cost structure to operate here is lower than it is in, in San Francisco. And the fact that I had these investor relationships that I helped, uh, you know, have a successful investment outcome going from 25 million to a billion, that I could attract investment here and I could start a company here. So that's, that's why we decided to come back. Uh, after about a year, uh, being here and doing consulting gigs for people and just kind of, you know, trying to figure out what was what was next. A group of founders from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York called me and said they had an adjuvant, would I be interested to run the company? So I looked at their adjuvant and it seemed like a really interesting idea to me. So I called them and said, I'd, I'd be really interested to run the company, but I want to run it in Lincoln for all the reasons I just said, because the cost of operations is low, we can get people here, we've got good technical, uh, people here, so let's build it here. So they agreed, so we moved the company from New York to here. How did that Series A round come about? Did you, did you, were you just kind of in the right place at the right time, or how did that yeah. work? Yeah, 
Um, well, we'd spent a lot of time over the years um, developing relationships with investors, but the truth is that the way we found the investor that that pulled the trigger on the Series A round, it was a single investor that put $20 million in, into the company, was a former colleague of mine who was my boss at Chiron had worked with this group. They'd had two successful uh, engagements with him where his companies had, had done well. So he made the introduction and within about a week from the introduction, we, we, we first, he sent the email on Monday, I met with them in Boston on Friday and the deal was on. It took us 60 days to close. Hmm. So five, five years of struggle, one week of courting, 60 days to close. Is this the biggest Series A round ever in the history of Nebraska? Uh, that's what I'm told. I'm not an expert in that, but that's what my that's what my my friends here uh, tell me is that this is the largest series ever. It you know, and while there's one sense in which we we, we take pride in that, and we want to you know put Nebraska on the map that you can get us 20 million Series A round in Nebraska. The truth is, it's really a, a, a reflection of the industry that we're in. So that's kind of a normal life science company Series A round. Um, you know, we're about ready to do our first clinical trial, and that clinical trial is probably going to cost about $5 million. So that's the, the first experiment you're going to do in a human costs $5 million, and it costs about $10 million to get to that experiment. So it's just not the kind of thing that you can do, you know, on the— Off your savings. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least not <laughs> off my savings. <laughs> so your company is called Adjuvance Technologies. Mm-hmm. Tell me what an Adjuvant is yep. and where it comes from. Yep. So an adjuvant is a um, drug or a, a, a compound that you add to a vaccine to further stimulate the immune response to that vaccine. So it's kind of like a booster. Um, and they come from all, all sorts of different places. Our particular adjuvant is an extract of the bark of a tree that's called Kiaha saponaria. This tree uh, only grows in a certain region of Chile and saponins uh, are kind of soapy molecules that uh, work as, a, as, as adjuvants. And this tree was identified because it has so much saponin in its bark that when it rains, suds form at the base of this tree. So that made people say, huh, we should go look at this tree and see if, you know, if we take the bark off and put it in some methanol and then put that methanol in, you know, does that do anything good? And it does. What our material is, is we synthesize the same material, and because we synthesized it, we could then make improved versions of it. We could change the structure and make, make better versions. So our preferred version is called 1055, and it's better for two reasons. First, on the supply side, we um, start our manufacturing process with just the core of the molecule, and that core is present in all parts of the tree. So leaves, shoots, little branches. So we can essentially prune the tree like a rose bush to get our starting material. As without a result, killing it. yes, yeah, w- without killing it. So it's a sustainable harvest, and as a result, we could make up to 100 billion doses per year without having to plant another tree. We can just trim the current trees. So Adjuvance has found what they believe to be a never-ending supply of these Adjuvants. Once all of the trees die off from being terminally harvested by the other Adjuvance companies that they compete with, Tyler would essentially have a monopoly on all of this particular compound. Sounds like a really useful discovery during a global pandemic. Wow. So you're figuring out a way to sustainably harvest this molecule from this rare tree in Chile, and then COVID hits. Yeah. What happens? Well, um, 
it actually hasn't been uh, super disruptive to us. We've gotten a little bit of money from the NIH to look at the use of our adjuvant with, with COVID vaccines. Uh, we don't have any deals with any, any other companies to advance those, those programs yet. We have some really interesting data. We have shown that we can enhance the re immune response to COVID vaccines. Um, so it hasn't really had a negative impact on us, but it has allowed some of our competitors to really do quite well. So again, Novavax, which I mentioned before, is a competitor of ours. They received $1.6 billion from BARDA, another $400 million from, from governments in Europe. So they've received $2 billion in non-dilutive funding uh, to work on COVID. Now, they're right in the middle of the front of the pack to develop a COVID vaccine. So, you know, good, good, good for them. Uh, I wish we would have been in the in the front, but yeah. we weren't we weren't ready when the time came, and so we're we're working on how do we make the next generation COVID vaccine. You you essentially make a better adjuvant than this company that got yeah. this two billion in funding, though, correct? Yes. So yes. so for the next generation of COVID vaccine, which you know the first generation will probably be for elderly and people yep. with high risk, you're sort of going to be in line to help all of the kind of secondary people, yeah. maybe middle-aged people, yeah. people who are a little bit healthier but still need to get the vaccine. Yeah. Our uh, feeling based on the immunology of other coronaviruses is that this is not really going to go away. That is, we'll probably turn into, coronavirus vaccination will probably turn out to be like influenza. You'll probably get a booster every year. So while today we're looking at how quickly can we get anything that provides immunity to anybody. Eventually, we're gonna to wanna to have the best vaccine. So we think we're in line to make the best vaccine. We're not gonna be the fastest vaccine, but we think we can be the best. What about starting adjuvants in Nebraska specifically, do you think has really helped? Yeah, there, there's two critical variables. One is uh, there was good technical talent in the area already, so I knew I could acquire talent that we needed to run the company. And the second one was low cost of operations, so our, our, our money would last longer here than it would on, on the coast. Just as an example of that, I'd explained to the investor that it would be much cheaper here. And when they looked at the lease, they said, good grief, 60000 a month? I can get you space in Boston for 60000 a month. I said, it's 60000 a year. They said, oh, sign the lease. <laughs> Adjuvant's test results are continuing to show signs of promise and they'll continue to grow the biotech industry right here in Nebraska. Tyler says that he hopes that their efforts will create a hub of technical talent that will lead to more research companies popping up all around the state in years to come. I'm JT Martin, and this has been a Grindstone production. Grindstone is one of the premier production and marketing firms here in Lincoln, offering everything you need to grow your business in 2020, from video and podcast production to social media management and media buying. You can learn more by visiting grindstoneagency.com. Who, who's your favorite child? Uh, my, my favorite child is probably Janae. Janae, the youngest? Those youngest kids, so spoiled. I couldn't say you. No, you could. <laughs>